0: Yeah, like it should just come into the Lord's presence uh, and be with Him. And So I felt just tonight, um, uh, Chad had actually asked me to share a message with them this morning. Um, and before I tell you what it was about, I, I felt the Lord say, because uh, normally I, I wouldn't normally do this. Uh, I don't make clone messages. Uh, I like to hear the Lord for every Congregation, but I felt specifically for this, and I'm going to tell you why. You know, it's been seven years that we actually planted the church here. And uh, over those seven years, uh, I haven't really spoken about this subject. And uh, the reason I haven't is, well, there have been multiple reasons, but I felt just in the area of, of finances. And, um, you know, it's one of those subjects. That elders don't know me like, well, uh, let's put it this way. I won't say all elders, all leaders, because I see it on the TV often. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, today I'm going to share on it, but I, I felt, um, you know, I remember there was a guy that, uh, when I was still in Mossel Bay, and uh, when I spoke on finances, he, he came and he said, you know, you as a church, you, you churches, you all talk about money, and I never saw him again for a whole year. And, uh, and we never preached on finances again. We never, you know, touched on the subject of money. But uh, a year later, God had, you know, just put in my heart to share on finances. And He rocked up at the church again. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it just happens like that because God was tugging at His heart. I knew it wasn't really us, the church, you know, you can blame all these things, but it was actually God... Just pulling his heart, and I want to share tonight that I'm not sharing this because we're doing badly as a church. I think you guys are generous. We give, and you know, I'm sharing it because I felt the Lord say to me, "This is one of those subjects you haven't spoken about really," and I have to admit I haven't spoken about it because because that subject's been abused in the life of the church. I mean, evangelicals. When you turn on the TV, it's often about money and it's about blessing me and uh, especially the you know the false teachers they they do it to enrich themselves and they do it in a way that manipulates hearts and because of that i felt yeah you know god it's it's almost like they treat your kingdom like a spiritual slot machine if you give you know cha-ching so like the like the lotto you know your license to dream <laughs> and uh, if you don't play you don't dream you know it's kind of thing but this is not what this is about and um and I felt the Lord you know, kind of convict me because I often cower under the pressure of abuse that other churches have done. And I felt the Lord say to me, you don't do that. Um, and the reason you don't do it is because, and, and I want to repent even today to you guys because, um, you know, God, God challenged me. He said, you know, that thing of when you preach about my love, when you preach about my holiness, you preach with conviction sometimes. But when you preach about money, you, you kind of... Take a, you know, it's more informative, but you you kind of take a back seat sometimes. And uh, I just felt that, you know, just in that, I want to say tonight I'm not here to impart information so that you can give more, but I do want to impart faith so that you can trust God wholeheartedly in the area of finances, especially where we are going today. I mean, let's face it, things are getting tough. Finances are getting Difficult. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe the price of bread and milk that I brought today. I thought, You're, you know, it's just ridiculous. I don't know if you guys feel that pinch or, But, um, you know, I just realized in that is that we've still got to keep our faith in these times. You know, the Bible says in, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them. But I want to say those are men whose hearts are on the things of the world. That's consumed with those things. You know, the Bible talks about the wheat that's sown... It says that some of the wheat is sown among the weeds, and it talks about those weeds being the cares of life, and they choke you. I want to say, if you consumed with those things, it's going to choke you. And uh, I'm here to give you the whole counsel, I felt, where I've lacked, where I've lacked giving conviction of, of the area of finances. And i reminded of 1 Timothy 6.10 where, um, sorry, before I go there, um, Paul, Paul gives Uh, let me just find it in Acts 20 verses 27 Paul calls the elders of Ephesus and says I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God now some of your versions say I have not shrunk back to give the whole counsel of God and I must admit in the area of finances I felt in my own life I've shrunk back you know because because people have abused it, and you don't want to kind of overstep that thing but in doing so I've shrunk back in the counsel of God, in that. And, and so I want to give you the whole counsel of God, even in the area of finances. And because I want, yeah, it's about your heart at the end of the day. Like I say, I'm not just imparting information so you give more, but I'm imparting faith that you trust God. This is a time where you've got to trust the Lord. And, uh, and I was just thinking about, you know, any, any other topic, you know, this is the Lord that showed me that every other topic that you talk about should actually involve an element of faith. Everything we talk about should involve faith, especially the area of money. Um, I want to say money and your faith are directly linked. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, It's for the love of money, which is the root to all kinds of evil, for which some have what? Strayed from the faith. So do you see how your faith and money are quite closely related? Some have strayed because of money because of the love of money and uh you know even one of jesus disciples you think of judas one of the 12 that jesus himself chose fell over the area of money remember matthew 26 16 when jesus judas betrays jesus for the 30 pieces of silver um and so our faith is definitely influenced by money and uh i know in joshua we often say whether it's your giftings or your calling your ministry. We always say that, you know, we we actually don't want those things first. We want your heart, and those things follow, and it's the same with money. We actually, I'm here to say, I'm not not wanting your money. I'm wanting your heart, but I know sometimes that God has to to get to your heart. He has to go through your wallet sometimes (laughs) because of it, you know, because sometimes we love money, and the love of money is the root of evil, and I want to say it's the love of money, because you might say, well, Benny, obviously you're obviously not talking to me, because I don't have any money <laughs> anyway. I feel like that sometimes. But you know, it's not really about how much money you have or how little money you have, because it's the love of money. Do you get it? So it's got nothing to do with how much money you have. It's how much money has a hold of you. And, uh, and so we gotta, we got to kind of look at it. And I kind of was looking through Scripture. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about money. You know, eleven of the thirty-nine parables that he gave was about money, so obviously it was quite important to Jesus to talk about this. And uh, and so I titled my message. And if you're writing down notes, it's faith in your finances. That's my message: faith in your finances. And the reason I want to say that is kind of a twofold thing because sometimes we look at faith and we kind of want to divorce faith from our finances, but the Two of us, so, like I said, were so interlinked, you can't actually separate them. And the other reason I want to say that, because you might be sitting here to say, well, so Benny, well, I don't believe in tithing because, you know, it was of the law, and uh, it's not what I'm feeling. And, uh, but I want to say this is beyond the law. This goes beyond the law. This is about faith. And um, you might say, well, I'm under grace. Well, this is beyond the law. And I'm going to explain this to you. So let me quickly look at what is tithing. Um, don't worry about the kids we don't have uh, unfortunately we don't have kids facilities but we are a family and we will endure those (laughs) times when because they're part of our inheritance and they're our family and they're our kids and uh, and I'm just thank you parents for coming even in these hard times we love you guys and we appreciate that and uh, so anyway where was I oh tithing So tithing, the word tithing actually means a 10, 10%. And, uh, you know, as as we read Scripture um, in Leviticus 27, verse 30 to 33, now, in the Mosaic law, God is very uh, prescriptive and describing to Israel what tithing is about. And He says to the, you know, He talks about the 10% of their produce, of all their earnings to give it to the Lord. Now, you might ask, well, isn't that just, Part of the mosaic law isn't that something that just that we're not under anymore. Well, I want to start by looking at where do we first see in the Bible about tithing? Well, we see it with a man by the name of Abraham, and we all know Abraham. What was something unique about Abraham? is he was the father, the Bible refers to him as the father of our faith. He was the father. He was. Yeah, you know, have you ever wondered why it wasn't Ab- uh, Adam? I often wondered that, but Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, and God looked at Abraham very uniquely, because it said that Abraham's faith, you know, God accounted to him as righteousness. I don't know about you, but I I had never given my son to the Lord like Abraham did, and God looked at that, and 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 He said, Abraham, I want you to give your son, your only son, and God watched how Abraham was going to respond towards him by asking of his son. And just before we know the story, just before he was about to put the knife to his son, God said, wait. And God looked at that and he said, you know what, Abraham? You are willing to do that for your son. And so I'm going to send my son to redeem the world because of your faith. And so in a sense, you can see how he is the father of faith for us. And as we look at Abraham, he was long before the Mosaic law. He, he, was, he was existed long before Moses' law, and before even Israel existed. And, uh, and I like to link this because Paul in Galatians 3 links Abraham's faith to our faith. And he says, you know, because um, he says Abraham's, he says his works, what he did, as he believed God, God accounted to him as righteousness. And it, and it says Abraham's righteousness was not of the law, but of faith. You see, so God looked at Abraham and says, this man's giving out of faith, okay? Remember, the law wasn't introduced then. It was out of faith. And he's saying, because Abraham's faith is, you know, it's accounted to him as righteous. And then Paul links the two in Galatians 3.6. And then he says to us in verse 11, the just shall live by faith. So the same way Abraham's got faith in giving, God's calling us to have faith in giving, Okay, now where do we see it? Well, in Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20, we see that um, when Abraham gives a tenth of his tithes, he gives it. Uh, let me read it. Uh, did I give that, give that one to you? Okay, Genesis 14, 18 to 20. You can keep that. But um, he gives his tenth of his tithes. You don't have to worry, Joel. I didn't give you that one. He gives a tenth of his tithes to a king of, well, called the king of, uh, king of Salem, Melchizedek. You might be asking, who's this guy? You know, who is he? Well, Hebrews 7 verses 2 to 3, you can give me that scripture because that kind of gives us a little bit of a description of who he was. It says, uh, whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all the first being uh, translated, the king of righteousness, and then also the king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, you might say, well, who's this? Well, this is a person that the Bible refers to without genealogy. So, you know, it's someone who didn't have a beginning and end. Now, we know the only person that doesn't have beginning and end is God. Okay, all of us were created. And, uh, but Jesus, 2,000 years ago, became flesh. But he always existed before that. Okay, Jesus was always he was always, I'm going to just put a full stop there. He always existed, okay? He always, that's why even in Isaiah 9:6 it says, you know, when he announced about what the prophetic word about Jesus coming, he says, for unto us a child is born, but he says unto us a son is given. You know, the son wasn't born because the son always existed, but the child was born. Like God, the word became flesh, all right? So there was a moment in history where God sent his son to the earth. Okay, but Jesus always existed. Now, now Abraham is giving his tithes to Jesus, the pre-incarnation of Jesus. This was before he came down as flesh to, and and he sees this king and he gives him a tenth. Now you might say, well, isn't this a once-off thing? Isn't this just between Abraham and God, and you know, it doesn't apply to me. Well, we can go and look at uh, his grandson Jacob, who also gave a tenth of his tithes. But notice the thing with Jacob. As I was reading about this. Jacob, uh, when he gives a tenth of his tithes, he, he goes and he has this dream, okay? And he puts his head on a rock. Now, I, I like a hard pillar, but I, I've never slept on a rock. And he has this dream, and he sees angels ascending and descending. And in this dream, in this prophetic picture, he says, he sees multiple, multiple people, and God says, these are going to be your descendants. And you know who he's actually looking at? Us. Because all those who believe in Christ are the seeds of Abraham. We are offspring of Abraham. Did you know that? And so he sees us and he and he has this dream. And let me quickly read it because I think it's quite a beautiful picture. This is the first time that church is mentioned. Well the house, sorry, the house of God is mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? Under this dream that Jacob has, it's the first time the house of God is mentioned. And uh, in Genesis twenty-eight sixteen, how many know we are the house of God now? Today, you and I, we together corporately, this is the house of God. We are the household of God. So here it says the Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And in this uh, in this, the gates of heaven. And uh, then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of that you give me I, of that which you give me I will surely give a tenth to you so here we see this prophetic picture that actually Abraham sees and in this prophetic picture he performs a prophetic act the first thing he does he He calls this God's house, right? Which I believe is the church. But in this, he anoints the rock. Now the rock, who's that? That's Jesus. And he anoints the rock. He's the anointed one, okay? He is the rock, and he's the anointed. So prophetically, he's doing something here. He's he's describing that Jesus is the rock. This is God's house. This is his. Uh, and And then the next thing he does he anoints the rock, but he makes a vow with God. He says, you know, God, actually, ultimately, everything is yours. And he says, and he says the, from the things I eat to the, to the clothes I wear, it's all yours. And I'm going to give you back. Um, I'm going to acknowledge that you are ultimately the source. And then, and then the next thing he does, he gives a tenth of all that he has in that acknowledgement. And, uh, and so that's God's house. That's first mentioned, and that's through his grands- Abraham's grandson, Jacob. But God's house is also a tent. Okay, so we see it moved from that rock, that place. Then we see it the next time God's house is mentioned is in this. Remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years? You might ask, well, why was God's house at that moment a tent? Well, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit like this. Remember when Israel, Israel were in the wilderness? They were following God. How were they following Him? He was the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, and you just imagine, God says, look, you're going to follow me all the time, when, I'm going to take you to the promises that I have for you, to the promised land, but when I go, you, fo- you go with me, and so the people would get up, and so they would take their tents, and they would follow, now, it would be difficult if at that time, the house of God was a building, okay, they, they couldn't just, so it was a sanctuary, it was a tent, and they followed God, okay, and this was the place we see in Exodus 25 uh, from verse 8 to 9. It says, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. He's talking about Israel. I wanted, he wanted to dwell, God wanted to dwell with the Israelites in the wilderness. And uh, we read that they, were call, that they called this God's house. And in Leviticus 27:30, and then God says to them, and all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. So here we see them giving a tithe of their produce to the Lord in this house. Um, And so just in line with that, so here we see them giving a tenth, right? But I want to just share something. So Israel had to give a tenth of their tithes, a tenth of their produce. Now remember there were 12 tribes. Remember that God uh, gave each tribe... A portion of land of that inheritance. Remember that? So, each tribe got a certain inheritance, a certain portion of Canaan that, that they would inherit. And in that, He said this, He said, you know what? The only people that won't get an inheritance is the Levites, the priests, okay? They were the tribe of Levi. Now, notice in Joshua 18:7, it says, but the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. In other words, God's saying, look, I'm going to give all of Israel inheritance, all the tribes, except the Levites. Why? Because I'm going to be your inheritance. I, the Lord, will be your inheritance. And, uh, and so they, So when the people of Israel would bring their tithes, they would bring it to the temple, part of that money would go to the, to the Levites, who would go to the, the priests. Okay, so you're with me. It's just good that we understand what's happening as we go through the, through the Bible in this. And so we see tithing continues. Um, even in the temple in Numbers 18.8, tithing continues even under the law of Moses. So this thing follows through, and we see the house of God move from a rock to a tent, to a temple. Remember, Solomon was the one who built the temple, and God's house dwelt there, okay? The Ark of the Covenant was put there. And then the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Now, in God's ending, because remember, after Malachi, after being the last book, God wouldn't talk to Israel for 400 years later, and He would come through a man by the name of John the Baptist. But let me read just the last words that God actually said to Israel, just in the book of Malachi verses 3 to 8, uh, sorry, Malachi 3 verses 8 to 10. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now, in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. See that blessing of the Lord, hey, God's saying, look, test me on this, try me, am I not Uh, will I not come through for you? So you see the element of faith. Can I say even for them, it was faith. It's no different for us now. It's faith. Now You might ask, well, Benny, isn't that of the law? Isn't that the Old Testament? Isn't that all completed in Christ? Because there is ceremonial laws that we don't have to apply to today. Did you know that? There are certain things we don't have to do today that they had to do, do during the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. And Paul mentions that in Colossians 2.16. And he says, Let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding your festivals, your new moons, your Sabbath, which is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So what Paul's saying, look, you know, the festivals, which were your yearly ceremonies that you would have, like the Passover lamb, those were observances that you had. Those things fell away. We don't observe the Passover lamb because Jesus was that lamb. Okay? So we don't have, we don't do it like some of the other churches who who still comply to the Jewish festivals. We don't do that because here he's saying, Paul is even saying, the substance, those things were shadows to point us to Jesus. Then Paul says the new moons. Now, Israelites also had um, monthly sacrifices. So the new moons would happen every month. So they would bring the monthly sacrifice. Then he says the Sabbaths, you know, those weekly sacrifices. So all of those things have been nailed to the cross. Why? Because Jesus came. He was the fulfillment. So certain ceremonies didn't continue from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But was tithing one of them? Well, I don't really believe that because Jesus endorsed tithing. In Matthew 23, 23, He says this to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithes of mint and anise and come and and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So, what Jesus is saying, look, you pay your tithes, but there were weightier things in God's eyes that you didn't do. He says, you should have paid your tithes, yes, but you didn't do the other things, which was just as important, more important to the Lord. So, Jesus wasn't saying, don't do tithes. He's saying, look, it's, it should have been done, but. There were weightier things that you should have done. And we all know the scripture. Remember when 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 the Pharisees and that try to, or the Herodians try to trip Jesus up with giving, and they wanted to check how's Jesus going to respond with taxes. And they say to Jesus, because you remember the Romans were pretty hard. They were taxing probably more than I know South Africa, we're pretty high on the tax thing, but I don't think it compared to the Romans. And uh, and so they bring all it's like these Herodians, probably like sauce. And they bring SARS with them, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, should we pay taxes? Now, it was like a setup, you know, okay? And, and they're waiting for Jesus' response. Now, back then, if you didn't pay taxes, they'd probably cut your head off, you know? It was like, hey, Jesus, what, what are you going to say? You know, should we pay taxes? But Jesus answers amazingly. He says, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But then he says this, but give to God what's God's. So, Jesus acknowledging there's something we've got to give to the Lord, okay? Are you guys with me? You say, well, okay, I'm still not convinced. Well, Paul endorses giving. Um, and Paul recognized the same way in the Old Covenant, the priests would, would get a tenth, would, would get some of the income which was given to, to, to the temple that they, that they took from, you know, the 10%, and the priests would be paid. And Paul uses that illustration. He says, the same way the priests in the Old Testament were paid, so are elders. Let's quickly read that. 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14. So, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things which are of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel— do you, do you get it? Who preach the gospel. Let's talk about the New Testament. Let's talk about us who preach the gospel. Should live from the gospel. Okay. Then 1 Corinthians 9, verses 3 to 10. It says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have a right to eat and to drink? Do we have no right to take alongside a believing wife and to do also other, uh, as other apostles and brothers of the Lord, as Cephas, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to, ref, to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock and does not drink of its milk of the flock? Do I say these things as mere men? Or does the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, "'You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain.'" Is it the oxen that God's concerned about, or does He say it altogether for our sakes? It's for our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should partake in hope. So, I want to say, one of the things, so Paul's linking that to the priesthood, he's looking, look. Am I not entitled to a salary? I'm, I'm yes, I'm labouring, but I'm I'm not labouring the way you're labouring. I'm labouring in the gospel here, and I want to say I've done this thing <laughs> while I've been doing two things at the time. I remember labouring here, even though I was working at Petra SA and I wasn't getting a salary. And so I'm not saying this because I'm wanting a, I'm getting a salary, but I'm not demanding it. And Paul even says, "Do I not ever right? But Paul never uses his right. He says, don't I have a right? If, if I'm sowing in a field, don't I have a right, to, a right to reap my rewards? And I want to say, I know the elders in Joshua. I know the guys. You know, we would do this even if we weren't getting a salary. I did it for 20 years without getting a salary. It's not about the money for me. It was about this is God's house. But I did it recently. or oh, how long have I been full-time now? Huh? About two years, three years, two years. I'm getting a salary now. But, but what I want to say, it's not about us getting a salary, it's about, hey, we, we love God's house, we love His people, we'll do this willingly. But Paul's saying here, yeah, don't I have a right to it? Because he understood that to invest in a church takes all your time, takes all your resources. Let me tell you, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, doing things, you know, some people think elder's job is to just serve on a Sunday, you know, just preach on a Sunday, the rest of the week, you're free, you're off, you're slacker. you know, I, I promise you, it, it's a stressful job. Um, they say a lot of, a lot of the uh, guys that suffer depression is actually pastors. It's, it's a heavy uh, rate. And I, I'm not, just see hear how my heart is. Uh, uh, emotionally, you're dealing, dealing with people's feelings, emotions, it can be tiresome because you, you, you're bearing with people, you, you're going through things with them, and you know, uh, uh, to care for people, it's, uh, and I want to say it's a joy too. I do it because it's a joy. And because God's given this to me, and I love it, and I love you guys, but I, I hear what Paul's saying here. He says, you know, it's, it's, it, it's labor, whether you like it or not. And in 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says this, from verse 17 to 18, he says, "'Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages.'" I want to say, even prepping, you know, Sundays, you know how many hours you actually have to prep? Because we don't want to give people rubbish. We want to make sure that what we read and we study in the Word is because we want to make sure you guys get fed That's nothing of Benny. Not Benny's interpretation. I spent hours, you can ask Lauren, is sometimes we don't do things together. I say, Sorry, I'm stuck in the Word. I just want to get this because I understand the value of, you know, I, I, I always go back to when, when Jesus, before he left, he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Understand the seriousness, Peter. This is my sheep. I purchased them with my life. Jesus purchased you, every single one of you. You've given your life to the Lord. I've got to make sure that I'm feeding you the best stuff I can. And it will take everything from me and I'll do it. And I'm disciplined. if You know me. I'm a disciplined person when it comes to that because I value you. And so Paul recognizes that. But having said that, you know, I want to say maybe you're a person and you've struggled with the area of tithes and and giving. I want to say, as Josh, Jen, like I said, this is not a law. I'll never force any one of you to tithe. It's not not in who we are, because we do believe it's something of the heart. And we can't, at the end of the day, you've got to be convicted by the heart. It's like, it's like Paul says, you know, let each man give as he's purposed in his heart. Um, and so, yeah, just felt, that, you know, as I was looking at my own life, you know, part of giving to me personally, when I tithe, and I also tithe, but when I tithe, it's like every month, God checks the checks and balances in my own heart. Are you right with me this month? And can I say some months it's good, you know especially when things are doing well and you're not having to pay bills sometimes it's harder to give then, and then sometimes all of a sudden all your costs come and you everything breaks and you've got to pay this and that. those tests are different to when you get lots of money versus when you get nothing and so both can be a contentious thing that we're wrestling with. But I feel that God does this almost like a monthly thing. It's almost like, where's your heart this month? Where's your heart this month? Where's your heart? It's like every time I've got to say, God, you my source. God, you my source. God, because that thing is always going to be checked. Man's heart is deceitful above all else, the scripture says. And so it has to be checked. It has to be, and it's like God checking. Is your, is your faith in your business? Is your faith in your salary? Is your faith in your investments, your RAs? Is your faith in your bank account? Or is it in me, the source of everything? You know, when I was working at Petraeus, I always had to, like God had to check me. Benny, Petraeus doesn't pay your salary. I do. I just use them. He's my source. And so even this, this evening, I want to just challenge you guys because I feel we, we're going in a season where where things are getting tough, but I, you know what I also believe, as a household, that we start seeing the value of God's house too. And I'm not talking about giving to Josh Jennon. I'm talking about us. I, I feel we're going to be going in a season. Who knows? Tomorrow I might not get a salary. It might be illegal to be a pastor one of these days. And then it's like, God, I trust you guys. You know, how are we going to do this? You know, but it's our love for one another. You know, and but I also feel like you know we, we get challenged by this because. Now, I'm often reminded of Jesus when in Matthew 6:24, He says, no one can serve two masters, for either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. See, Jesus acknowledged there's no middle ground here. You'll either love God or you'll love money. And God's calling us to check that thing, because it's always going to pop up that we've got to challenge it. We've got to face it, even when things get tough. And uh, the question I want to ask is, does Jesus satisfy you? Because John 4, he says, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst. You know, it's that thing of being satisfied with him. And, uh, yeah, I'm just reminded how Paul, when he said this, you are complete in him. I know contentment. I'm... If I'm chasing after things of the world, I'm never content. I know it. I know I'm not content. Paul even said in Philippians 4.11, he says, I've learned to be content with much and with little. You see, contentment is is the key, church. It's the key that keeps our hearts in check. God, I'm satisfied in you. Because I'm satisfied in you, I'm always content. I know where I am. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. But God, you're my source. And you know how this really reflects our worship to him. Really, it does. If you're not content, can I say, you're not going to have perfect worship. You can't worship God in spirit and truth when when you're not content, when you're striving and when you're serving, because that's what Jesus said, you cannot serve me and money. I want to just close by reading Habakkuk, verses 3, from verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be in the vines, and though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I want to say that word, yet, not if or maybe, but yet, that means in spite of, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He'll make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk in the high hills. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in the high hills. Not in the high hills, but in the high hills. <laughs> hey, today you never know. But um, I want to walk in the places that God has for me. You know, the Bible says that we are, we are seated with Him in heavenly places, guys. Our home is not here, it's not here. And things are going to get tough. Really, they are. And I feel this is where God's going to purge His real church. Those who are willing to serve Him. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you really trust me as yourselves? Because there's going to come a time where that thing's going to be tested. And I want to say, if you're battling now, give it a couple of years. I think, and I'm, not, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of person, but I think things are not going to get better. But I want to say, in that, I know God's testing us. He's looking for a church that loves him and loves him with all his heart. And and that means every aspect of our lives are given to him. Our time, our resources, our money, our families, every area is going to be given. It's going to be tested. God said, do you love me more than that? And so, yeah, I just just want to close in that. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that you're purging her and you're calling us to obedience, Lord. But you're calling us to do everything that we do in faith. It's faith that pleases you, Jesus. It's not the law. It's not the works of Moses, Lord. You, you even said, it. If, if we got faith, Lord, we can move mountains and and Father, I want to pray that as a church, as we see times getting tough and, and harder, Lord, I pray that your church would be content in you, that they would all ultimately say, I am complete in you. And Lord, in that, that we understand that our hope is behind the veil, that our treasure is, is not here. Our treasure's in heaven. Our treasure's in you, Jesus. And Father, as we as we see you as our treasure, that we're willing to give everything for that, Lord, because you demand nothing less than our lives. And so, Father, I want to pray for a faith. I want to pray for a boldness. I want to pray for your church, Lord Jesus, that when times do get rough, and they will, that there would be a church that knows how to stand on the rock, Lord, and they would represent you and represent you well. That are people that are not consumed with the things of the world. You even said, Jesus, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And we want to love you, Jesus, and you alone. And so I pray for your church, Lord, that we would know, that we would tap into that love that you've given us. Bless your name. Amen.